Sailing remains one of the best things in my life. And it's me and the boat and my crew working with or working against the sea. And the sea is this like massive hostile place and somehow you make it work. And the quiet and the peace that comes with sailing is pretty much indescribable. The story of you slash sailing short. This week on Upvoted by Reddit. Welcome to Upvoted by Reddit. I'm your host, Alexis Ohanian. Hope you all enjoyed last week's episode with Cameron Norris and the Reddit Builds Bionics team. It was pretty awesome to see someone like Cameron go the extra mile to learn about 3D printing, bionics, and engineering to make his vision a reality and help someone live a better life. Not only was he able to teach himself so many valuable skills, but he was also able to band together with some immensely talented Redditors, such as hand surgeon Nila Janaki Ramanan to crowdsource something that could potentially change the world. This week, we're going to be covering something a little bit different. So many of us have our desk jobs and hope to one day leave it all behind to embark on an adventure for the ages. But if you imagine yourself hopping on the nearest boat and sailing off on a grand voyage, you might want to hear this story first. On June 1st, a user by the name of Sailing Short posted a story to r slash fact about being on a ship that almost sank at sea, and how that experience led to her bonding with the love of her life. We'll speak to Sailing Short, or Heather, right after a quick word from our sponsors. This is another gilded episode of Upvoted the Podcast, so thank you for listening, thank you for your gold, and here are some individual Redditors we're going to shout out instead of playing an ad for you. J. I don't know what that is. It's V-T-O-T-H-E-J. Maybe, oh, V to the J. <laughs> I was way off. Asger B. A-S-G-E-R-B. Thank you. Oh, and thank you, V to the J. Sutima. Thank you. Michael Quinlan. Thank you very much, Michael. Andreas Porto Carrero. Thank you. Pogue23. Thank you, Pogue23. Eagleman725. Thank you. R4-G3. That's specific. Thank you. And finally, Kalswa. K-A-A-L. I think that's an L or it's a capital I. S-W. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you all. Seriously, your gold makes stuff like this possible. And we're grateful to be able to produce it for you. So, thanks. Hello, I'm Heather. Uh, you sailing short on Reddit. And uh, I told a story there on r slash tell me a fact about almost sinking on a ship. And as you can already tell, Heather isn't your typical sailor. So I grew up in the little town of Davis, California, which is a university town in the Central Valley, west of San Francisco, east of Tahoe. And it's a quiet little town. It was perfect to grow up in. You can bike everywhere. Um, it's kind of like upper middle class, I guess. Everyone goes to college. Um, I had a great upbringing. My parents were pretty chilled out, hippies, really. Um, lots of tie-dye, lots of composting, that kind of thing. My dad was a teacher, so we took a lot of trips in the summertime um, up into the Sierra Nevada mountains, uh, just exploring California and the West Coast primarily. And, of course, out to the coast of California, which is stunning, um, really rugged, 
Uh, my grandparents live in the San Francisco Bay Area, so we definitely spend some time out there. But um, I had no sailing experience or background as a child. I'd been on a ferry, like no boats, <laughs> no boats at all growing up. But that would all change when Heather graduated from high school. And I um, thought I'd take a gap year, like you do. And uh, I went abroad to Mexico and the Seychelles doing um, coral reef research, which is like, I have no experience in that whatsoever, but it was a volunteer thing. Um, so you dive and you catalog the coral and fish that are down there so they can create a baseline and have a leg to stand on when pollution starts killing stuff off. So I did that for a year, and then I came back home and I came back home in December, which is not the greatest time to try and start, like, researching for and applying for, um, like, college. <laughs> so I was kind of at loose ends. Um, and so I got a job and was just kind of hanging out and um, just kind of waiting till I could start researching and applying and all that jazz. Um, and in that time, uh, like a friend of my dad's niece or something <laughs> um, was a volunteer on the tall ship Lady Washington. Um, and he told me about it and I was like, what? That sounds amazing. So a tall ship is like an old fashioned sailing ship. Think like Pirates of the Caribbean. The Lady Washington was actually in Pirates of the Caribbean. So like long yards, big square sails, um, wooden boat. So I was like, what? That sounds amazing. So they have a program where you can go for two weeks and just volunteer and learn what it's like to be on a tall ship. So I went and did that. And it was freaking amazing. Like, not only was the sailing amazing and you get to climb aloft and hang out on the yards and get covered in tar and go sailing, like, but also just the, like, family and camaraderie of the crew was spectacularly amazing. Like, I had never experienced anything like that before. And the teamwork it requires to make a boat work is something you can't get anywhere else. Like, if you want the boat to go somewhere, you all have to pitch in or she's not going nowhere. So um, that, like, feeling of a family and a team at the same time was absolutely amazing. I, I just loved it. And I was... Um, 18 at the time, going on 19, so I was in that craving lots of social um, interaction time of life when most people are like in dorms and stuff. So it just suited that really, really well. And at the end of my two weeks, um, a position opened up on the boat um, for coordination of their education program. So I took that position, which was a paid position, and... Um, that started my my career on boats, basically. So I, I followed the boat up the West Coast, up into the Puget Sound, San Juan Islands, um, doing ed programs for kids and summer camps for kids, um, teaching them about maritime history and teamwork and having a freaking awesome time. And this experience led Heather to eventually take a crew job in New Zealand. And I sailed on a tall ship down there. Um, and I kind of came to the end of my time in New Zealand having learned about a bunch of other cool boats down there. So I came back to the States for a little while on another boat, and then I went back, and I, I got on board the tall ship Soren Larsen, um, which is a, a brigantine. So she's got square sails on her foremast and four and a half sails on her mainmast. And her program was one of a kind. Um, in the New Zealand summer, so sort of like December to, say, April, 
um, she would sail in New Zealand, do sort of um, weekend trips and weekday, like week-long trips around New Zealand, taking passengers out, which New Zealand's stunning. So that was amazing. And then in sort of April-ish, she takes off um, and heads east out into the Pacific Islands. Um, her her trip used to go all the way east to Easter Island, which is, I wish I had taken that trip. It's amazing. It's like 40 days at sea, which is pretty much the longest time you can, that's like the longest stretch of sea on earth, basically, without seeing any islands or anything. Um, so she would go all the way east and then island hop through the Pacific Islands. So French Polynesia, Tahiti, Bora Bora, um, Samoa, Fiji, Tonga, all the way east till she hit Vanuatu and then come back south um, to New Zealand. Uh, the year I got on her, um, we didn't go all the way to Easter Island. Um, we went as far east as Tonga and from there kept coming west um, till we got to Australia. She's very unique in the tall ship world because there's not many ships that can just voyage like that. It's not a very um, lucrative way to run a boat. Um, it's much more lucrative to do like day sails where you can get 100 people on the boat and they have each paid 50 bucks as opposed to the, the total this boat could handle was 22. Um, they call them voyage crew. So um, obviously that's a lot less than 100. And uh it's also hard for people to come for like 10 days, and it's kind of an unknown for a lot of people getting on a boat like that. Um, but she continued to do it, and she also continued to support the islands. Um, she took supplies out to some of the more remote islands who literally didn't see anyone except us all year, um, which was amazing, just meeting those people and, and talking to them and, and hanging out with them and tropical paradise. While in New Zealand preparing to go on this epic voyage, the crew gained a new carpenter named Rusty who caught Heather's eye. He's from the UK and his brother had worked on this boat for the past two years and his brother came back every year before the boat goes to the Pacific Islands. She does um, what's called a refit for six weeks. So they haul her out of the water and just fix anything that needs fixing, basically, whether it's one of the spars um, or the hull or the deck or whatever. Um, and at this point that I was on the boat, we were taking off sheathing to prevent rot and re-sealing uh, all the seams under the sheathing and putting it back. So we needed a lot of carpenters, basically. Um, and they replaced a lot of deck planks and stuff. And so his brother had been a part of the boat for a couple of years and... He said to Rusty, come up, come be a carpenter on the boat. And Rusty was like, well, why not? So we did the refit. And um, at the end of it, our ship's carpenter, who's going to come with us to the Pacific, he left, basically. Um, he had a better offer. So he jumped off the boat. And the owners were like, ah, I need a ship's carpenter. It's a wooden boat. Literally everything is wood. And Rusty didn't have anything really going on. So he signed on as the ship's carpenter. Um, so that's where I met him. Um, we weren't dating or anything at the time. He was just part of the crew. And we took off to the Pacific Islands for an adventure. I should preface this by saying that um, 
The first leg of this journey is through the Southern Ocean, which is notoriously nasty. There's no land down there, basically. So the ocean just kind of goes around and around Antarctica, and uh, it can get some pretty wild waves and some pretty nasty currents and some pretty nasty weather. It's it's south, so it's it's cold. It's definitely not the Antarctic, but it's cold enough. It's not like cruising in the Bahamas. <laughs> um, so, But we all knew that, and the boat has been everywhere. She's been across the equator numerous times. She has rounded Cape Horn. She's she's just done a lot of stuff where you you trust her, you know, it's not not a problem. So, we set out a little bit later than we normally would this year. Um we set out in May. So, it was it was pretty cold by then. It was definitely New Zealand winter by then. We're we're headed for Rarotonga, which is pretty much east of New Zealand. And um it's about a three-week trip, if I remember correctly. And due to several things, we didn't have very many passengers on board. We had about three passengers and then the crew, which was 13. So 16 of us on the boat. And we set out, and uh, it was kind of winter in the Southern Ocean, so it was lumpy and choppy and um, lots of big swells. So these swells are... Mm, 20 to 30 feet high, which is pretty high. It's not perfect storm, but they're they're high enough. And they're, they're big, gentle swells, so you come up one and you go down the other. Um, and you just kind of climb the swells. And uh, we're sailing along pretty slow. I'd say we're probably making about ooh, four knots, which is not breaking speed records, but you're not a snail's pace either. And it was pretty windy. Um, I wouldn't say a gale force or anything. I would say probably 25 to 30 knots of wind. So that means you're getting spray sometimes over the boat, and it's a little bit choppy over the swells. But, you know, it was pretty pretty common for that time. It wasn't unusual weather by any means. The crew was prepared for rough seas, but no one could have predicted what they would face that day. So the incident happened in the morning, probably. I think we're two or three days out from New Zealand. And the way a boat works is you, you work in watches. So you, you're you on watch for four hours and off watch for eight hours on this particular boat. Um, so when you're on watch, you're responsible for the boat and everybody on it. So you're navigating the boat. You're steering the boat. You're making sure the sails are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, and make sure you don't sink, all that jazz. Uh, and everyone else is asleep for their eight hours off. So there was one watch up, obviously, doing the boat. And the rest of us were down in the forecastle, which is this tiny um, – it's the front of the boat, so the pointy end. There's like this little triangle where the crew sleeps. So there's eight of us in this little tiny space almost sleeping on top of each other. Like your bunks are crisscrossed, and it's a, it's a cozy space, but um, – it's all family, so it's all good. So we're all snoozing in there. It's about, oh, seven in the morning or so. Um, and I, I hear the cook come in, and he quietly starts waking up the next watch so they can come up and get breakfast before they have to go on watch. So I hear that, and I'm like, oh, I don't have to get up. So I roll over, and I cozy up into my blankets again, um, and they go away. And... The boat's going up, and, and when you're in the bow of the boat like that, you can it's, it's almost like an anti-gravity chamber. Like, she comes up and over the top of a wave, and when she starts to go down, like, you almost lift out of your bunk. So, But we're used to that sensation, and to me, it's a really comfortable one. I really like it. So I'm just feeling the boat do its thing, and I'm drifting back off to sleep. 
and all of a sudden the boat you kind of hear a thump and the boat really like shudders to like you could feel her come to a complete stop is what it felt like and it, like everybody just kind of like held their breath they're like what that's weird and from up above we hear the most terrifying call ever which is man overboard and that's terrifying because on a flat calm day with the sun shining you can lose sight of a person overboard in a matter of seconds and this was not a flat calm day and the sun was not shining um, this person that we assumed went overboard like they had almost zero chance of survival and we all knew that but you all have to try so like before i even knew what was going on i was vertical i was putting on my climbing harness and i was racing up the stairs along with everybody else in the forecastle like i don't think thought entered anybody's brain we were just up and we we run up the stairs and we come out on the bow of the ship obviously cuz we're sleeping in the in the in the bow of the ship and the first mate's up on top of the deckhouse um so the deckhouse is about a oh i'd say like a 20 by 15 structure it's about 10 feet tall and it's where the galley is so the kitchen and eating area and she's on top of that where we keep our life jackets and she's chucking down life jackets and we're like what the heck is going on but we're taking them we're putting them on cuz that's what you do in an emergency you know we're taking a head count we're trying to figure out what the heck happened and we look over to the starboard side so that's the right hand side of the boat and we see like a bunch of like shrapnel basically wreckage um wooden wreckage and we're like what the heck is going on um and and i just remember one of the crew members who had gone aft who had gone to the stern of the boat she comes back and her blue eyes were huge like saucers and she goes the deck house is gone and i just look at her like are you like what's wrong with you it's right here i can see it like there's a wall <laughs> it's here what is wrong with you so i follow her back and she is absolutely correct two of the four walls supporting the deck house are gone they're they're collapsed inward basically into the middle of the deck house and the deck house which you know had like a table and benches and a sink like it was our galley you know it's literally splinters like all you can see is wreckage and i'm like holy shit like shit just got real like <laughs> this is no joke you can actually see the damage for yourself in the photo gallery that heather submitted it's in the show notes the roof is caved in fragments of wood are strewn about the galley and frankly it looks like it was hit by a hurricane so we kind of gather and we try and take a head count and we figure out that in fact nobody is overboard which which is like oh my god <laughs> that's a huge weight off everyone's mind and uh we learned later what happened was one of the cooks had been in in the in the deckhouse and um this wave had come through the deckhouse and basically washed him out a window and over the side and he managed to grab onto some rigging and haul himself back on board like he literally saved his own life and it was his third day at sea ever <laughs> i i doubt very much he ever set set foot on a boat after that like i can't even imagine what happened there and and as horrific as that is we were actually really really lucky 
that there were three people in the deck house. So the two cooks and the engineer was grabbing a cup of coffee. If this had happened like 15 minutes later, there would have been 20 people in there or 15 people in there all having breakfast. And this would have been a lot worse. Um, so to kind of skip ahead, what had happened was we have been hit by what's called a rogue wave. If you're not familiar with rogue waves, don't worry, I wasn't either. Apparently, they're also known as extreme waves, freak waves, and even killer waves. Rogue wave is probably the least scary word Heather could have used to describe them. And so that's a wave that is usually much larger than every other wave in the area and also tends to come from a slightly different direction. So if you can imagine we're climbing up these these waves and down the other side and we're kind of we're heading in one direction and this wave came like like from 45 degrees off our starboard bow and it just as we we're coming down the face of one wave this wave was coming up to meet us and this wave met our boat and our boat lost in a big way um this this wave just absolutely shattered the starboard side of the boat. What we ended up doing was corralling everybody down below so we could take care of some of the minor um, first aid stuff that had happened and also so nobody is on deck like with the potential of getting washed overboard. So we all head downstairs um, down below and uh, the lights are all out. Um, the wave had come into the deck house and down a big stairway that was in there and it hit an electrical panel. And shorted everything out. So it was dark down below. The only light we had was the, like, flashing lights on our life jackets. So it was kind of an eerie look. Um, and we got a big dump of water down there. So there's, like, water sloshing back and forth. It was very Titanic. Like, people's belongings were kind of, like, floating by along with, like, pieces of debris and pieces of the boat. And the water is, like, this kind of black, oily water because it's been in the bilge. And it's just, like, kind of sloshing back and forth. And you're, like – and bearing in mind, like, we're still at sea. So the boat's still rocking and rolling while all this is happening. And you're just trying to – make the best of it. So um, so we gave some first aid. There were a couple of bumps and scratches. Um, the, the engineer got the worst of it. He, um, he broke his nose and got a big gash in his leg. But we're so fortunate that that is the extent of the injuries. Like, it could have been so much worse. So much worse. So we kind of triage all the injuries, and we go back up on deck, and we, we – kind of have to regroup. Um, so what's what's happening now is the whole starboard side of the boat above the deck level, um, those are called bulwarks. And they're basically to stop people and stuff from falling off the edge of the deck. Um, and they had all been basically taken out. <laughs> and they're supported by six by six um, wooden stanchions. Like these are big pieces of timber. And this wave had literally snapped them like kindling. Every one of them had, had stove in. Um, and so now where each of those had been on the deck, now there's a big jagged hole. And so every time the deck goes underwater, water pours into the boat. And one of the first rules of sailing is keep the water out of the boat. Um, so that was not a good thing. Um, it's a wooden boat. So it leaks. That's what wooden boats do. So we had a bilge pump to deal with that. The bilge is the bottom of the boat. In a wooden boat, it always has a little bit of water in it. Um, and so the bilge pump is there to 
keep on top of the water. So it just t- it just sucks up the water and pumps it overboard. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't really designed to deal with, A, the volume that was happening, and also, B, the amount of debris that was in the bilge. So what, what kept happening was pieces of debris would get stuck in the suction end of the bilge pump, and it would lose the suction and not pump anything out. So our bilge pump was not cutting the mustard, and we were continually taking on water both through these holes in the deck and also now we have this big stairwell. If you can imagine this, the opening of a stairwell is pretty big um, and it's just open to the elements now because the deck house walls are gone. So there's nothing to stop the water pouring down the stairwell every time we take a roll. So we got to work basically. So we, we chucked a lot of the shrapnel overboard so it wasn't sloshing around taking people out of the kneecaps and stuff. So we're picking up whole wall panels and like huge sections of wood and just just chucking them overboard, <laughs> just getting them out of the way. And the carpenters are, like, hard at work. They're grabbing every piece of plywood they can find on the boat, which we stock because we're away for a long time, so there's wood on the boat, and they're grabbing it all. They, they covered over the um, stairway that was taking a lot of water, and then they got to work um, on the holes along the side of the deck. So this is terrifying because... If you remember, the bulwarks are now gone. So the thing that's supposed to stop you from going in the sea is gone. And you are at the very edge of the deck trying to nail on a piece of plywood while the boat is rolling. So with these less than ideal circumstances, Heather and the rest of the crew had to get creative. We devised this system of like a jar of nails on a rope around their necks like, <laughs> and a hammer in their belts. And literally, I remember holding on to ropes, holding on to his belt while he hammered, waiting for the roll. So the boat goes under the water. Well, the deck goes under the water, so he can't do anything. Wait, wait, wait. The deck comes up, hammer in a few more nails. Like, And they did that all the way down the deck to try and just minimize the amount of water coming in the boat, which really helps, um, but didn't stop it. Like, nailing a piece of plywood over a hole is not a permanent solution by any means. Meanwhile, the engineer is trying to get the bilge pump to work. He can't get it to work. Fortunately, this boat is equipped with a secondary manual bilge pump, and this baby saved our lives, literally. Um, So it's a big diaphragm pump. It's probably two feet in diameter at the diaphragm, and the suction was, I don't know, it must have been a four-inch suction because we pulled huge pieces of wood, like a whole shoe, like stuff that was clogging the other bilge pump was just coming out of this thing like willy-nilly. It was amazing. Like I say, it's a manual bilge pump, so it has a big long handle on it. I'm I'm only five foot one and this handle was above my head by surely. And you just grab the handle and you pull. <laughs> and it brings the diaphragm up and it pumps water out of the bilge. But you have to do it constantly. And it's not, it's, it's literally your arm power. (laughs) So we, we had to line up and just like in the old fashioned sailing movies where they're pumping the bilges to stay afloat, that was us. So you'd take 50 strokes on this thing and then you'd go to the end of the line and the next guy would take 50 strokes on this thing. 
And you have to remember that, like, while we're trying to pump this, like, there's oily water, like, sliding across the deck because you're pumping the bilge, right? And the bilge has oil in it. So it's oily water. So you're slipping and sliding. You're wearing a life jacket, which is, like, really hard to maneuver. And they're big and bulky because they're meant to keep your head out of water and stuff. You've got on, like, foul weather gear, but at the same time, you're soaked to the skin. You're, like, trying to stay upright. You're clipped in, but at the same time, you're having to move and there's five other people trying to get where you're trying to get and it's just like I don't want to say chaos like people were kept their heads amazingly but it was hard (laughs) like it was just hard so we kind of broke it up then like half the crew would be on deck pumping half the crew would be below like trying to get a little bit warm because everybody was wet everything was wet like the boat was just soaked and we trade out every I don't know half an hour or so um the cook managed to find some chocolate bars and some ginger beer so we were chugging that just trying to you know keep the blood sugar up meanwhile so we're pumping we're not really getting on top of it but we're not maybe like going straight to the bottom so we're pumping pumping and the captain decided he called a mayday and what a mayday means is there's imminent danger to life basically to us what that meant was he thought we were sinking we, he thought we were going down which he probably did and we probably were and that is terrifying because <laughs> um, you're 200 miles from shore like the the sea is not gonna even blink when it takes you luckily the captain's distress signal did not go unnoticed so a big car carrier answered the mayday almost immediately this is like a big I, I don't know like 800 foot vessel big decks it carries cars around the world um and her like idle speed so as slow as she can go is probably like six knots which is way faster than we're going like we're wallowing along at like two knots so like she can't really come help us like we're only 150 feet long we're a pretty small boat but she came she responded and she just stayed with us and she just had to when you respond to a mayday you can't leave until the coast guard relieves you of the responsibility for that so so she had to stay there and she just literally ran circles around us the whole time and it was comforting because you knew if the boat went down and you had to abandon the boat at least somebody's right there and they're watching it happen and you might not be lost at sea for 60 days. And I remember during that time, the first mate came and tapped each of us out as we're pumping. She said, go get your stuff. Go get your grab bag. And what a grab bag is, is it's usually a waterproof bag, you know, like those river rafting bags. Um, And you just, you put the essentials in there. So you put your passport and your wallet and your phone and your a spare pair of long underwear <laughs> um, to stay warm. And you just go grab that up. And that's what you take with you in the life raft if you have to abandon the ship. And right there, right then, was when it just, like, thudded home. It was like, okay, <laughs> we may be stepping into a life raft today. And that's a really scary thought. Of course, life rafts are there to save your life, but <laughs> you never, ever, ever want to have to use one. But it's like you don't give up on the boat. So we put all our grab bags in one place so we could grab them um, near the life rafts down below. And um, we kept on kept on pumping. Um, the New Zealand Coast Guard heard our mayday also. Um, and they actually airlifted us out some bilge pumps. These bilge pumps were exactly what the crew needed. But getting them on the boat wasn't that simple. So you got this helicopter 
trying to keep pace with a boat that's wallowing around. So it's like this kind of like uneven roll because we've got so much water in us. And we've got two masts sticking out that could like skewer this helicopter, right, if it gets too close. So it doesn't get too close. But it has to get close enough to get a line down to us to basically like a zip line down this bilge pump. And this bilge pump is like a like a portable generator size. Like it's it's a big piece of machinery, big heavy piece of machinery. Um, you know, it's gasoline powered. So you you get the line on board and they start they start sending down these bilge pumps. And now you've got this this generator size thing like zooming down at you from a helicopter at a rate of I don't know what. And you're like rolling around and you're trying to like land this thing on deck without crushing anyone or like getting it in the sea it was actually like one of the things that sticks out in my mind like I know it was there to help us but it was like oh my god this is terrifying so we got a couple of those on board um, and they sent down some gasoline for us and um, we got them hooked up and we got them pumping but they actually ended up having the same problems that our Bilge, our automatic bilge pump was having, um, they kept losing a prime. Whether that was because we were rolling so much, so the water wasn't like at a reliable level, or because there was so much debris in the bilge, it's kind of unclear. They worked sometimes, but they weren't that reliable. So we kept pumping. We kept manually pumping. And all the while, like, the captain has turned us around. We're heading back into New Zealand, but if we're going at three knots and it's 200 miles, like, it's going to take us a long time. So we're wallowing along and, and still pumping. And um, we've got all the sails down now. We're just on the engine. Um, fun fact, all these tall ships that take passengers have to have an engine. It's it's a Coast Guard requirement. Um, this engine was actually uh, original to the boat. It's a big old engine that like tells you to light it with a cigarette. It was amazing. Um, but anyway, so it's chugging us back back into into shore. But all the while, we're kind of sinking a little bit, <laughs> a little bit at a time. We were kind of on top of it at this point. Um, I don't think we we're actively sinking anymore. Um, probably treading water a little bit with the bilge pump. And the deck was still out of the water. Of course, it goes under the water every time you, you roll, but it, it's not like we were knee deep in water down below. It wasn't anything like that. But um, we, we kind of got on top of it and uh, we got broken up into watches. So um, we did three hours on, nine hours off, because um, they wanted people to have time off. So whoever was on was taking turns steering the boat and pumping the bilge, um, which each each had its pluses. Steering the bilge, you, you didn't have to pump, but it was cold. Oh, my God, it was cold. You got that cold southern wind coming up from Antarctica. like It's just like a blast of frigid air. So you're standing there like shivering on the helm. Like there's no autopilot. Like you are you are steering the boat the whole time with a magnetic compass. Um, so it's like when you get relieved, you're like, oh, I can get warm again pumping. And then you're like, oh, I'm tired of pumping. <laughs> you can go stand on the helm and freeze again. Um, but you're only out there for three hours, which seems like a long time, but it's really not in the grand scheme of, of watchkeeping. Um, and then you go down and you try to find a dry bunk. And that was a mission um, due to waves coming in and leaky decks like there just weren't that many dry bunks on the boat um so a lot of people were what they call hot bunking it so when one person's on watch another person is in the bunk and vice versa um a lot of people were sharing bunks um the captain's bunk which is a like a 
probably between a double and a queen size bed had like four people in it. And there were two people sleeping on his floor. There were people sleeping on the ca- like on the settees. And that was when Heather began to spend more intimate one-on-one time with Rusty than she ever had before. We'll hear more about it right after this quick word from our sponsor. And instead of ads, here are some thank yous. Abean489, thank you for your gold. Uberman, but it's O-O-B-E-R-M-A-N-N, thank you. Livesteam, yes, Livesteam, thank you very much for your gold. Leap years, leap years, leap years, leap years, oh, maybe it's leap years. Anyway, L-E-E-P-I-E-R-S, thank you. Low velocity, all right, all right, not very fast, but that's okay. That's okay. Thank you. La Talpa123. Robin Hanford. Thank you both. Uh, that guy, 868. Love that guy, 868. Thank you. And finally, Cheeky Barstard. Cheeky Barstard. O U R 1 Cheeky Barstard. Thank you for your Reddit Gold. You make original content like the Upvoted Podcast possible, and we appreciate it. So thanks. I didn't know him at all. Before he joined the boat. And then we went and did this crazy thing and got hit by a wave. We were hot bunking it in my bunk, um, which was amazing because I came off watch and I got into the bunk and it was already warm, (laughs) which is the best feeling in the world because you are soaked to the skin and frozen. And it's going to take you forever to warm up your own bunk. But you get in and there's this like hot body in there already. You're like, Oh, nothing has ever been better. (laughs) Um, And I'm sure it was the same for him coming in with a warm bunk, you know. And we're laying in the bunk, like coming back in. And he goes, do you want to give this a go? And I was like, yeah, let's give this a go. So things started to get better on board for Heather and crew, including their first hot meal in a good while. Bearing in mind, like, there was no galley anymore, so, like, the food was mostly snacks we'd been eating, um, which was kind of fine on an adrenaline stomach. You know, you don't really want a massive steak or something. But it was now going to be two or three days. I think it ended up being, like, four and a half days back into New Zealand, which is a long time. And the cook was an absolute hero. They, like... There's there's no galley. You can't get in there. Like it the roof might collapse on you at any moment. Like it's it's slowly sinking down, you know? So they fished a couple things out of the wreckage. They fished out a walk um and a stick. <laughs> and they took a pitch burner. So the pitch is what we seal the seams with, and you have to heat it up. So they, they have this propane tank attached to a ring, basically, and it just heats up the pitch. Well, so they took this and they, they put the walk on it and they made this little like wind shelter um, and they salvaged some eggs and like some cans of of spaghetti you know like that chef boyardee like <laughs> tomato spaghetti that's horrible he scrambled up these eggs and he heated up this freaking can of sp- <laughs> spaghettios and uh and <laughs> he made a wrap out of it so it's and it was the first hot meal i'd had in like a day and a half of like terror and it it was like manna from the gods. Like, I would never eat that now. But then it was like, oh, my God, it's hot and it has nutritional value. Om nom nom. And we all just devoured these things. And he was such a trooper. Like, he's sitting on the deck. There's no, like, countertop. There's no nothing. He's stirring the eggs with a stick, literally. <laughs> like, it was 
amazing. Um, just the ingenuity that goes into it. And you might have remembered, like, there were three passengers on the boat, and they were absolute troopers. Like, not a complaint, not a panic attack, nothing. They just pitched in, man. They they stood their tricks on the helm. They came up for watch. Like, they were saints. Like, they had paid <laughs> to come on this trip and go to a tropical island. <laughs> and instead, they nearly sank at sea. <laughs> like, they were spectacularly amazing. We could have had some kind of, like, hysterical breakdown, and we didn't. And for that, we are all super thankful. <laughs> so we kind of limped back in. Um, and as we got into calmer water and the deck stopped dipping below the sea every roll, um, we could get on top of the on top of the bilge filling up, basically, which was awesome. That told us that the hull was still very much intact. So there wasn't water just like streaming in through the planks or anything. It was just coming in through those holes on the deck. So we got into calmer water. We kind of got on top of the pumping and we kind of limped back into a harbor in New Zealand called Whangarei. And we, we made it back to shore. And on land, Rusty and Heather's relationship really began to flourish. We got back in and the owners of the boat um, rented us a bunch of motel rooms um, to just like not be on the horrible boat <laughs> um, and just sleep in a real bed and get a shower and stuff. So we shared a motel room and it kind of started from there. The boat after this wreckage um, went through a, I want to say six to eight month refit where they took the whole side off the boat and replaced all the stanchions that had been broken off and replaced the whole deck house. Like it, it was a big undertaking. Um, and then you had carpenters for it, obviously. So um, Rusty stayed on and, and I stayed on. Uh, I do like rigging work, bosun work. So I was doing other stuff while they were doing the carpentry stuff. So we kind of, um, I guess you could call it dated. <laughs> it wasn't really dating. We just lived together on a boat <laughs> throughout that time. And we took lots of weekend trips around Northland and New Zealand um, and just generally bonded over trying to fix a boat that had saved our lives. So we we kind of did that. Um, and when she was ready to start sailing again, she, she sailed and we decided we'd kind of part ways. And we went and worked in Australia for a little while. And he built, he helped build a boat over there. And we just kind of did the hanging out being a couple thing. And then we came back to the boat when she went to the Pacific. And we Sailed with her to the Pacific um, with no incidents this time. So we actually got to go to the islands and see lots of cool stuff. So we hung out on the boat for like seven months, which like if your relationship can last being on a boat like in a tiny space with a million other people and like you can't get away from anybody, much less your significant other, like you're probably doing all right. <laughs> um, so we we did all right with that. Um and when we got off the boat, we came to the unfortunate realization that I am an American citizen and he is a UK citizen with a New Zealand residency. And no matter where we live, one of us is going to need to get a visa. Um, so this is very unromantic, but we decided that the easiest way to do that was to get married. Um, so I, I don't want to say that our marriage was a visa marriage because it absolutely was not like... We love each other, for sure. And we had been through a lot, and we knew that we wanted to continue to 
hang out. Um, and the easiest way to do that was to get married. So that's what we did. Um, we had a little tiny, tiny ceremony in New Zealand um, at the courthouse. Not even a ceremony, really. It was just uh, us and a couple couple of um, witnesses and signed some papers and voila, I was a wife. It was kind of weird. We're just uber romantic and we're super poor at the time. So <laughs> like I went to a thrift store to get the stuff to wear to this wedding. <laughs> like, I am not kidding. I was at the Salvation Army. It was kind of amazing. I wore flip flops. It's such a freak occurrence that we got hit by this wave. And it's like there's all these tiny little things that just like steered me and my husband together. And so many of them, like just a tiny thing. And we would have gone another way and never been together. And I couldn't be happier. Like he's perfect. (laughs) Absolutely perfect. Currently, Heather and Rusty live in a small town in Colorado happily ever after. He has his own contracting business and she works on boats transporting cargo to and from offshore oil sites. I'll share my final thoughts after this last word from our sponsor. And one last time, instead of ads, here are thank yous, because you're listening to the Gilded Edition of the Upvoted Podcast. Brand 0923. Brand is important. Fiber is good. Thank you, Brand 0923. Zaycor. Zaycor? Zaycor? I don't know, but thank you. Z-E-C-O-R-E. Hit the road. I don't want you to hit the road. You can stick around. Hit underscore the underscore road. Thank you. Mr. Wigglesworth 2. Oh, you might be my favorite. I really like the original Mr. W- <laughs> the original Mr. Wigglesworth, but Mr. Wigglesworth too, you're pretty great in my book. Uh, the Tech Geek Four, you're great too. Thank you. We need more more tech geeks in the world. And finally, a big thank you for Morning Reaper Zero Zero. That's pretty dark. It's M O U like morning of a loss. Morning Reaper Zero Zero. Uh, thank you. Um, you know, I want to, let's see here. Let's do one more. Ah, sushi hamburger. There we go. We'll end it on a positive note. Sushi underscore hamburger. Thank you. Your contributions, specifically your Reddit gold made this possible. All of you are great, but sushi hamburger, you might be my favorite because I don't think I would ever want to eat that. (laughs) Enjoy the rest of the podcast. When we first got in touch with Heather, we wanted her to tell us the crazy story of how her ship almost sank in the middle of nowhere And while this story is pretty epic, what I like most about it is that it also turned out to be the story of how she met the love of her life. Not many people can say that. Now, it may sound cliche, but love and sailing do have a lot in common. Even when you plan for a long voyage with some rough seas ahead, you might get hit by a rogue wave that comes out of nowhere and forces you to deal with the wreckage. Okay, it's a bit of a stretched metaphor, but in the best cases... The experience helps you find someone who is truly special. Someone who will be there to to warm your bed when things are at their worst and stay by your side long after you've made it back to dry land. Not everybody has found that person, and frankly, not everybody will. But when you do, you'll know it. If you're with them right now, tell them you love them. Give them a kiss and never take them for granted. On a related note, I'm excited to let you all know that Michael Pope better known to many of you as you slash cat sweaters that's c-a-t underscore s-w-e-a-t-e-r-z reddit's creative projects manager is getting married this saturday and i couldn't be happier for him i'll be at the wedding we'll all be celebrating it'll be a good time 
And I know you won't be there, listener, unless you happen to be one of the listeners who will also be at the wedding. But I've known Michael for quite some time, uh, and I wish him the best on this new phase of his life. I hope you all leave him a polite message in the comments of this episode. Unfortunately, that also means he'll be gone, because he deserves a honeymoon. So wish him a happy trip. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, be sure to subscribe to Upvoted on iTunes, Pocket Casts, or Overcasts. When you subscribe, your phone will automatically download the episode as soon as it comes out, which is pretty handy. Also, be sure to sign up for Upvoted Weekly, our delightful hand-curated newsletter that comes out every Sunday morning. And this week, we featured a history lesson in pirate democracies, a demonstration of U-slash-Sim-Salapim's toothbrush helmet robot. Yeah, it's a thing. And U-slash-Farts-McGee's brilliant explanation of why so many people die while pooping. Yeah. All the best stuff on Reddit that you probably missed because it wasn't on the front page. So take a look, subscribe at reddit.com slash newsletter, and you'll get that every Sunday morning. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show, and uh, let's do this again next week on Upvoted by Reddit.